If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 9. going to read uh, through the end of the chapter. Right, and last week we looked at Jesus's, uh, really a theology of suffering, right, that um, things like blindness, sickness, tragedy, death, and especially the timing of everything, right, Jesus says we can't blame that on uh, our sin or the sin of others, right, I mean, the sin in the world for sure, but um, it sets us free then to, to love suffering people. Um, and so today what we're going to do is we, Jesus teaches us the meaning of this miracle of the healing of the blind man, and we're going to look more closely at the blinding power of self-righteousness, uh, which really is the, the one of the main reasons people reject faith or reject Christ or reject the good news of the gospel. They can't see it. Right? Well, our goodness just gets in the way. And so... Let's read our passage, and we'll pray and meditate on this together. Um, This is God's word in John 9, verse 7. Jesus anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly been blind Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division, a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. But he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. 
You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is I, it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And this is God's word. May it be spoken to us today in love. May this word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would see Jesus and our sin more clearly, um, so that the gospel would do its work of healing our, our pride, healing our self-righteousness, healing our tendency to show contempt for those who appear to be uh, less good than us. Uh, Lord, we're so often blinded as to what we're really like, so I, I do pray you would do this uncomfortable thing shine the light of your your grace, your presence, your holiness on us so that we might be healed by Christ's grace. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So we actually get um, the, the key to interpreting this chapter at the end rather than at the beginning because once you hear Jesus say that it's for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind, uh, it forces you to reread the chapter under a different light. And so the question we want to ask, right, Jesus, who are those who can't see? Right? I mean, so this this whole section from John, well, yeah, well all of John really is insulting. <laughs> insulting our pride, insulting our arrogance, insulting our, our, our sense of, of greatness as human beings, because if you're going to ask who are those who cannot see, the spiritual insult that that Jesus lays out is the world, everyone, right? The true light, John says in chapter 1, which gives light to everyone. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. That's Jesus. But the whole world did not know him. The whole world is spiritually blind it's it's the whole world is unable to see unwilling to believe unwilling to change unless jesus gives you sight same thing in john chapter three truly truly i say to you unless one is born again you cannot see the kingdom of god you can't see unless god intervenes in his conversation with the pharisees jesus say over and over again You see me. We're having a conversation face to face. You've seen the works I've done, and yet still you don't believe. So on the one hand, as you read John chapter 9, it's it's a story of a miracle of a blind man 
having his physical sight, re- sight restored, but uh, on the other hand, it's, it's pointing to this deeper truth of what every human being needs is to have our inner spiritual blindness healed uh, so that we might see Jesus and trust him. And in turn, then be set free to see our neighbors and, and love them rather than looking down on them. Right? So one commentator puts it this way, that the blind man represents fallen humanity languishing in darkness, ignorance, and sin, and suffering without hope of salvation. He needs his eyes opened. Eyes for you. And so, let's look at this passage because it's going to do two things. It's, it, it lays out a path of how Jesus opens the eyes, the spiritual eyes of this blind man, of how he comes to faith, uh, to see Jesus as he is. There's a progression and then we're going to look at the, the, the anatomy of, of the spiritual blindness that prevents people from trusting him. And so let, let's look first at how Jesus gives sight to the blind. Because you can track his story and, and the way he talks about Jesus, which matures in each conversation. In other words, his spiritual sight becomes more clear over time. And so, right, if you've ever come out of a really dark room, right, you've been in a a movie theater or something, you come out into the bright noonday sun, it just takes a long time for your eyes to adjust to see. Um, That's that's the portrait of what's happening here with this blind man. It it takes time for him to really understand and to think about and to meditate what what happened to him, right? It's a process. So, right, very beginning... If you're going to ask the blind man, who is Jesus? And that's what they did, right? How do you see? He said, well, verse 11, Jesus is a man who told me to go wash, and I washed, and I received my sight. Right? I mean, there's a sense where he knows something happened to him, but he doesn't really, it's, it's living. This, the, this man called Jesus, right? Notice he calls him a man. He's not, his theology still needs to grow and change. But he can see, Right? So he has, he has an experience that he doesn't really totally know how to explain. He just gives Jesus credit. And so that's, that's the very beginning of his journey. Something happens to you right, that, that opens your eyes. Something. It's a spiritual experience. Right? And sometimes it's just an experience of God. I feel like God loves me. Sometimes it's just... Coming to the end of yourself and realizing something needs to change, but something, some kind of experience happens. And so I've got two, two main points from the passage that, that teaches us how faith begins. And we picked, talked about this briefly last time. Um, but for this blind man, for him to come to faith, it, it was never his idea. Right? Jesus, the, they walked into the temple. Uh, the disciple or out of the temple, the disciples see him begging. They ask this question: Whose fault is it that his life is terrible? Um, who sinned if this man is born blind? And then Jesus says, "Neither." He gives this explanation. Then he just anoints him with mud and says, "Go wash, and you'll receive your sight." Right? That's an act of grace, right at the very beginning. God taking the first move. Right? To be a Christian is to have Jesus Christ give you sight through the spirit of revelation that opens your eyes to see and to understand. You have, as John says, you have to be born of the spirit to see. That's the process that begins with this blind man. 
so if you're a Christian, that's your story. It began, and if you were to ask, what is your story? You could say, well, as I was a bit wiser, I saw the world more clearly than others. I saw my need to get better, so I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and started keeping Jesus' commands. Well, that's, that's not how that works. If, you're, if that's how you process coming to faith, which is I wasn't doing Jesus' commands and now I'm trying to do Jesus' commands, that's not what Jesus is teaching. Functionally, he says, you cannot spiritually see and know and understand God unless he opens your eyes. That's, that's the first part that he teaches you. Second, you got to think about what happened. you got to Take some time to ask that question, what happened to me? Or in this man's case, people are going to keep asking you, what happened to you? You seem different. Right? There's obvious different, you can see. <laughs> right? But you, know, you start wondering where those thoughts about God came from, or why do I believe God is love? And that his love is for me. Or you just start asking questions about this spiritual experience that you have, and over and over again, as this you, you see the way the man is asked questions about his experience and the way he retells his story to grow in spiritual maturity. And you can tell he's just reflecting. What happened to me? Who is this man that told me what to do? In other words, this is true for everyone, whether you're trying to figure out who Jesus is or um, have been in the faith for a long time. The more you think about it, there's more to Jesus than you can see with your own eyes. Why else would Paul pray for Christians? I pray that that God would uh, enlighten the eyes of your heart to understand what is the glorious inheritance that you have as a saint. Why would he pray to Christians that you need to have your eyes open, your your inner blindness healed, unless that's the process. There's more to see. There's more grace to understand. So that's, that's, a, that's how his journey begins, right? He asks questions. It begins with grace. Now, second, he, he identifies Jesus as a prophet, right? So when he's brought to the Pharisees to help everyone make sense of what happens, you can kind of see how this works, right? If, if something weird spiritually happens to you, you go seek a spiritual authority to say what happened, right? In our day and age, you go find a, a pastor. And that's when you find out that some of these Pharisees are convinced that Jesus is a sinner because he's broken the Sabbath, according to them. Right? And we've talked about this before, but this is what a lot of the, the Pharisaical tradition would do. Said, here's God's law. Don't break the Sabbath. And so I want to make sure you never break the Sabbath and never work on the seventh day. I'm going to set up all these fences about 50 yards away from the actual fence, God's fence. They want to get really specific on how you keep this commandment, even though their tradition isn't actually written in the scripture. Right? So, for example, right, if you were to mix dirt and water, that's the process of making clay. If you make clay on the Sabbath, that's work. Therefore, Jesus has broken the Sabbath. And they got so specific, actually, where the idea of Sabbath became less about 
kindness to humanity and saying, you know, you, you need rest. And then it became all about law keeping. So when it came to medicine, you were not allowed to practice medicine on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisaical tradition, unless a person's life was in danger. Right? In other words, unless you're dying, you can wait till the next day. So, you know, if your arm's like at this weird angle, you just kind of got to deal with it till Monday or till Sunday in the Jewish tradition. Right? And he, the longer this goes on, you can start to hear the, the, the callousness, uh, the lack of love for their neighbor um, in, the w- in the way they apply the, the commandment. And it's made worse because the Pharisees are absolutely certain that this is the way it is. And if you don't do this, you're a sinner. And you can hear that in their attitude. And because they confidently t- claim to see and know God's will, that's what blinds them from believing the gospel. And so when the blind man comes and he's questioned about his story and they say, who do you say Jesus is? Because here's this eyewitness testimony. He says, he must be a prophet. Someone sent by God, that's what a prophet is. He says, who could do something this miraculous unless they've been sent and empowered by God? And that's, that's verse 30. He's delightfully blunt. He gets, he gets his personality coming out. He says, this is amazing. You don't know where Jesus comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Pretty clear. He gives the same testimony about Jesus that Jesus gives about himself. Jesus says, unless I'm apart from my father, I can't do anything. And so this man's spiritual sight is starting to grow. He's moving from just a man to being a prophet. And a prophet is someone who is sent by God and often given signs to prove that God is actually listening. So that's, that's this next second stage of discipleship, of growing, of seeing Jesus as prophet, that when he teaches you, he's, he's teaching you God, God's will, God's ways. Right? And, and, of course, in the Old Testament tradition, Moses, he was, when he was sent and said, I'm from God, they would say, prove it. And then he did some miracles to prove it. Right? And so that's the testimony of the blind man. He's saying, we don't know, even if you don't know where he's from, he did something amazing. And that's testimony and evidence enough for my faith. And because I see, God must be listening. And so for you who are like tracking the progression of faith, at some point as a believer, you come to the place where you recognize that Jesus is not just a man. He's someone sent from God to humanity. And you have to take his word seriously. You realize that God sent Jesus, his son, into the world, that God is with him. He's someone whose words you can't ignore. And his words come with authority. And the proof of the, the authority that, that, that comes with Jesus is the miracles, the signs, that God is with him. And Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of John, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. I speak just as the Father taught me, meaning everything I teach you comes straight from the source. 
And because he's God's son, it's even more intimate than the prophets of the Old Testament, which means there's even more reason to listen to him, which is why the writer of the Hebrews would say, long ago God spoke in many different ways, but now he has spoken to you fully and finally by his son. So as you grow in your understanding of who Jesus is, like the blind man, your, your vision starts to become more clear. You realize Jesus is a prophet. It's part of his mission to tell you who he is and why he came and what you must do about him so that you would believe in him. Right? And then third, seeing Jesus clearly leads to worship, and that's the, the culmination of this man's discipleship journey. Because after the second interview, the Pharisees are pretty much done with him. Uh, they, they kick him out likely means they basically excommunicated him from the synagogue, which for him wasn't a big, like it was nothing new. He was already outside the community and not fully participating. Um, but Jesus hears he gets kicked out and graciously, kindly comes to find him and just pulls back the curtain and says, here's who I am. I'm the son of man. Right? And this man clearly has his, his uh, Bible education because he immediately falls on his face and worships. Now, who is the Son of Man that he's thinking of? And I'll read from Daniel 7. It's just good to hear this again. Who is Jesus? Uh, Daniel chapter 7. Jesus, there's this vision that Daniel receives of a, a man who does God-like things, but he looks and appears like a son of man. So Daniel seven fourteen says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented for him, before him. And to this person was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Right? And so as soon as Jesus says, I am that guy, I'm the one in whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given, he falls down and worships means Jesus is more than a prophet. He was just a, a man who wouldn't accept worship, especially in the Jewish world where that was one of the heart of the commandments. You would never worship a created thing. And yet here's Jesus accepting worship. Right? And so this is where, as your eyes are open to the glory and greatness and beauty of who Jesus is, this is where it leads. It always leads to worship. It leads to a place of awe, a place of wonder, a place of gratitude, a place of joy. Um, that where information in your head, you say, I've heard of this Jesus, becomes real and personal. And you say things like Thomas, right? You're my Lord and my God. Not a God, you're my God. Right? Jesus moves from being a prophet, right, a good teacher, to being the prophet, the one who created me, who was sent by the Father to come and teach me about him and about his salvation. And so that's how, that's the track, that's the, the progression, right? It begins with grace, and as your sight gets clearer, the more you understand the grace you've received, the more you worship. 
And that's what we get to learn in this lifetime. Our sight, like cataracts, needs to to be cleared up. And so we worship every week. Jesus, who are you? Reveal yourself again. Now, that's the way it's supposed to be, (laughs) right? That uh, we move from grace to worship. But every honest Christian and every honest person will say it doesn't always, it's not a smooth ride, to put it that way. We don't always feel the awe and wonder. We don't always have that spiritual experience that we, we crave. And one of the things that gets in the way of that spiritual experience is exactly what's getting in the way of the Pharisees and their worship. Self-righteousness. They claim to see, but they're blind. And that's Jesus' argument. There are all kinds of people that look at the same Jesus you are and I am, and they go, well, nothing special to see here. He might be a good guy, but he's not worth worshiping like the living God. And Jesus says, just an interaction with me is a judgment moment. For judgment I came into this world that those who claim to see may not see, and those who cannot see will see. And if you look at Jesus and say, meh, (laughs) and are bored, and you can't see his glory, it's telling you something about yourself that you can't see. How are you going to react to that? And the reason uh, these Pharisees can't see is because they're blinded by their own certainty of their own righteousness, their own way, their own interpretation of God's uh, word, of their own way of seeing. Right? So when they say to the, to the man who was healed, uh, give glory to God, right? they call him to the stand, give glory to God, which is their way of saying, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. You can hear their confidence. And that religious certainty that our way is the correct way, that I see better than you, uh, it, it just it blinds them to the reality of who Jesus is. Right? I mean, there's that's that's the way we we process it. There's a modern way, certainty that my way is the right way, and my way is better than your way, Jesus. So I don't need Jesus. Uh, there's other ways where people say. Um, I'm certain that no one should be certain, right? And there's actually a, an, an Eastern parable about blind men and how they come to see, right? It's a parable of a group of blind men come across an elephant, and each blind man touches a different part of the elephant, and they confidently declare that we know what an elephant is like now because we touched this one specific part. So right, one man will touch the leg and say, well, it's this giant tree-like creature, Another one will touch a trunk and say, it's, well, it's just a thick snake. Another one must be really tall, touches the ear and says it's like a fan. Uh, another person touches the tusk and says, no, an elephant's like a spear. It's hard. And, of course, as the story goes, right, the, the, the person telling the story says, see, they're all correct. They're all right and partial, all partially wrong because the elephant is the sum of its parts. And so, therefore, when it comes to God, when it comes to religion, we're, we're just like those blind men. We have part of the truth. And since we can't be certain we have all the truth, we should calm down and just let everyone find their own way to God. 
who can actually see the elephant and have any understanding? That's the way the parable goes. It's different than Jesus' story. The problem is, if everyone is blind, who can tell that everyone is touching just a part of the elephant or that it's an elephant to begin with? The person telling the story is claiming to see better than anyone else. That they know what spiritual reality is like. And they're certain about their uncertainty. In other words, it sounds sounds humble for sure to say that Jesus is one way. But one way among many, but to, to claim that you actually have to know where all the ways are and where they lead. You have to be in the position of God to be able to make that confident declaration. In other words, if everyone is blind, it should humble us in the way we interact with these, which which forces us to trust Jesus' word. But because the Pharisees are confident that they see, and they see better than others, just like the blind men and the elephant, right? I see better than you. They reject Jesus. And really, it's their self-righteousness that gets in the way because you know, self-righteousness is this thing where we're really good at seeing the flaws and faults in others, but we're completely oblivious to our own. Right? It's, it's a bit like body odor. You can smell it in others, but it's harder to smell in yourself. <laughs> right? And if you're going to be self-righteous the way the Pharisees are, it's, it's to be certain that my standards, my way of seeing, that is absolutely correct, and then use that as a tool to look down on others. And there are all different standards and things that we use to do that. Good things even. Right? You can use Bible verses to look down on others. You can be full of political righteousness and look down on people who think differently about politics. You can right, you run through a list, parenting, cleaning, right? I mean, our households are infected with self-righteousness. That's why we argue about what's clean and what's not. Point. It always turns into, I'm good and you're not good. I'm okay, you're not okay. I see, you don't. And so if you were to see what gets in the way of faith, and use the Pharisees as a mirror to see how it blinds. Well, look at look at the look at them. Right? Because of self righteousness, the Pharisees are unwilling to learn. They don't want to learn. Right? And here's one way this could have gone. Hey, this blind man was healed on the Sabbath. Nothing like this has ever happened. Only this could only happen if God empowered Jesus to do this. And if God did this through Jesus on the Sabbath, maybe my understanding of Sabbath is wrong. Right? Maybe I just misunderstand the scriptures. And instead they said, no, we know that we know Jesus is the Savior. Right? What kills spiritual maturity is self-righteousness. Right? And, and the blinding certainty that I, I see and I see everything. read that verse, I know that book of the Bible, I, I'm informed in my convictions, my theology has arrived, which means I'm arrived, and you know what we see? Well, thank God I'm not like other men. <laughs> That's what it looks. And when you get to that point, you're no longer able to, to receive correction as Jesus is graciously offering it. 
the blind. And so, we should pray like Paul. Lord, help me see. Help me see more. Help me see more clearly. Help me be willing to learn. There's always more grace to understand. And Paul describes it in Ephesians 2 that the reason God saved us is so that we would pray in the coming ages that the never-ending riches of his kindness and grace poured out on us, which means there's more. Second thing this teaches, this will lead us towards the end here, self-righteousness keeps you, prevents you from loving other people and seeing other people. Self-righteous people can't love. And you you see this in the context of the Pharisees, these religious leaders who ought to be compassionate pastors. Instead, they just abuse this poor blind man. It's helpful to contrast the Pharisees with Jesus, the good shepherd, because that's where this is going in the next chapter. We see uh, spiritual abuse, if you will, in chapter 9, and we see the beauty of this this pastor in chapter 10. Because what self-righteous people do is they justify the abuse of power. I mean, that's that's what the Pharisees do. They, They have agreed that anyone who says Jesus is the Messiah shall be excommunicated. They shall be cast out. And if you're kicked out of the synagogue, that means you're cut, cut off from the community. You're branded as an outsider. And functionally, because the synagogue is where you go to, to meet with God. You're kicked out of the temple. You're, you're banned, from sac- banned from sacrifices. They're, they're ruining your life. It's going to mention out of power. And because they're so convinced that they are right, comfortable and they justify abusing their power. And they don't see it as an, as an abuse, they just see it as doing the right thing. You'd be more comfortable manipulating to get what you want because of self-righteousness. Which then leads to uh, abusive language. So once, once the man disagrees with them, they don't go after the argument, they just go after the man. You're a sinner. And when, when, when the, bl- the man who was healed gets is interacting with these guys, he gets a little bit sassy and sassy and says, hey, you want to be Jesus' disciple too? And instead of responding to his experience, they just say, well, they reviled him. What do you know? You're just a terrible human being. You're a sinner. And he actually quoted scripture at them, and they just ignored him. Because when you're self-righteous, it's easy to justify abusing, deriding, insulting, being mean. I'm right. If I'm right, I'm free to do what I want. Because they're blind. They claim to see, and yet they can't see. And because they, and I don't, that blindness not only leads them to reject Jesus, but it leaves them unable to talk to him, uh, unable to love their neighbor. Uh, John Gerstner would put it this way, the, what gets in the way of our seeing, right, the, the main thing to get between you and God is not so much your sin, it's your damnable good works. Right? You're, you're so persuaded of your goodness that you can't believe the grace of the gospel. Self-righteousness blinds. So how, how do you have your sight healed? Well, I think the, the key is in the way John tells the story. Because he, Jesus tells the man to go get, have his sight healed at the place 
called Shiloam. And John is very um, specific and purposeful and intentional to say Siloam means tent. And so the man has to go to a place called sent to be healed. And as Christians, we are also sent to a place called sent. It's Jesus, the temple, the person. We're going to have our sight healed. We could be lost. We might have our sins washed away. But here's the audacity of of the gospel, that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, who has authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation, who's setting up a kingdom that will be never be taken away. Uh, this is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what does he do in the Gospel of John? He gets down on his knees in chapter 13 and begins to wash the feet of the self-righteous and even of his enemies. Right? Jesus gets down on his knees to wash the, the dung and the mud off Peter's feet. And Peter says, you... What do you think you're doing, Jesus? You could never wash me. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you'll have no share with me. And so we have the grace of Jesus to come to him who will, who will wash your feet while still feeling, like, even as you still feel like I'm not that bad. That's where Peter would go. And it, in great humility, the same great one washes the feet of Judas, the one who he knew was going to betray him. Right? It's all foreshadowing the cross so that when you come to Jesus, the sent one, he shines a light on your sin because that's what the message teaches you is that I'm so bad. The creator of the universe, the one who gives sight and takes it away, had to die. And yet it also shines a bright light on the beauty of God's love that he sees me and he likes me and he was willing to die for me while I was arrogantly rejecting him. And that leads to worship. Lord, he does for the blind man. Amazing grace that washes the blind man's feet. As our eyes are simultaneously open to the bottomless depths of our sin and the, mit- and the many ways we continue to deceive ourselves that we're better than we actually are, as we receive the gift of this bottomless love, never-ending steadfast love of Jesus who washes us clean. And that's the gospel. You know, that's the cure for our spiritual cataracts, if you will, our, our, our blindness. Because how can you feel righteous? That's the heart of your testimony. Or more righteous than others, the heart of your testimony is my God has to die for me. Right? How can you look down on others if that's your experience? Right? And Martin Luther, talking to a bunch of monks, would say it this way, that there's no greater cure for spiritual pride, like a little overeating, a little oversleeping, a little overdrinking. Right? In other words, seeing yourself as an actual sinner. Right? Be honest. That sets you free from that, that certainty of I don't need a Savior. Right? Admit you can't see. And when you admit you can't see, Jesus says, that's why I'm here, to give you sight. So you might see me fall down and worship. Let's pray. Uh, Father and our God, we thank you for the wonder of the gospel, for the power of your grace that gives us eyes to see. And I pray if there are those here who do not yet know you, that um, they would be like the blind man and, and, and wrestle with the claims of your grace, and that you 
would reveal yourself to them as the way, the truth, and the life, the one who knows them, sees them, and loves them. And I would pray the same for us, Lord, as Christians, with more to see and more to learn. Grant us the humility to seek your face, even as you are about the business of healing our brides. Stand and sing our last song. Uh, my hope is built on nothing less.